You're listening to Further Faster in association with Montaigne, the podcast that asks ultra-athletes, mountaineers, and explorers the why and the how. Hello and welcome to Further Faster in association with Montaigne. My name is Daniel Nielsen and it's my job to talk to explorers, mountaineers, athletes, climbers, just to understand exactly why they do what they do and how they do what they do. What is it that pushes them? What is it that drives them? Sometimes to the limit of human endurance. So this time we're speaking to Jesse Dufton. Who is Jesse? Well, he's a climber and a good one. His dad first took him climbing at the age of two At the age of 11, he led his first route. His climbing life continued through his uni years, and then recently he climbed the Old Man of Hoy, leading it. So far, so impressive. But what you might not know about Jesse is that he's almost completely blind. His story, told in the film Climbing Blind, is now touring. Catch it at the Kendall Mountain Festival or on the Brit Rock Tour. But first, listen to his amazing story. Jesse, uh, Jesse Dufton, welcome to Further Faster. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, what we what we want to do, uh, yeah, over the course of this kind of conversation is just really to learn a little bit about you, um, a little bit what you do and and why you do, what kind of drives you to do what you do. Now, it's quite, I mean, it's a remarkable story. Um, let's start by stating the obvious. Your blind <laughs> what what, yeah. what 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 kind of um on on what on what kind of scale what 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 kind of uh has, has, has what made you blind and how long have you been blind for so um i have a genetic condition um i basically i have an error in one of the genes that is the instructions for how my eyes were put together and okay. what that means is that the back of my eye falls apart with time okay so it's affected me all my life Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born with about twenty percent of central vision, right. no peripheral vision, and like in low light conditions, I was totally blind. Okay. Um, and then, so that's not a very high starting level. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's as good as it got, and um, unfortunately, it only gets worse from there. At, over time, the back of my eye, the light sensitive bit, basically falls apart. Okay. Um, so now it's. I'm basically down to light perception, um, telling the, like being able to detect light, and that's only in a really narrow field of view. So it, right. the best way I think, if you imagine it, is imagine you're looking down a drinking straw, mm-hmm. and that drinking straw's got well, I don't actually know how many layers of cling film you'd need, but five, six layers of cling film over the end, so that yeah. basically all you can tell is whether the end of that drinking straw is light or dark. Right. Um, so it's not quite zero vision, but it's not far from it. So to give you an example, I'm sat and I'm holding my hand out in front of my face. It's about a foot away. Yeah. And I'm wiggling my fingers and I can't see them. Right. Okay. Pretty blind. And, yeah. And, <laughs> oh gosh, there's so, so much to kind of dive into. So, and how old are you now? You don't mind so I'm 33 now. So you're 33 34 now. now. 34 now. 34. 34. Yeah. When you get to that age, if you keep forgetting how old you are. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you get to 43, which is what I am. Um, and... <laughs> So, but you climb. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is this is the the, the remarkable the, the remarkable story. And so, let's just delve into that quickly. How long have you been climbing? Like, when did you first, so, very first, kind of get on a climbing wall? Or so I did. I started on uh, traditional climbing, trail climbing outside, and my dad took me climbing when I was two. Right. So, 
I didn't really have much choice in the matter, I guess. Okay. Uh, so it took me up like ordinary route at Edward Slabs when I was yeah two years old. Um, <laughs> okay. And okay. <laughs> and um, uh, I led my first route when I was eleven. So, right. So you yeah, I didn't really have much choice. So, yeah, I've always climbed. It's just something I've always done, really. Okay. Um, and. Yeah. Like it was only really when I went to school that my parents realised how bad my eyes were. Um, yeah. Oh really? It was okay. Yeah, I guess that I'm very adept at working out ways to get around the fact that I can't see. Right. Um, I think that's the critical thing. Like, yeah, there's problem solving and an attitude of you just work out a way around it. And also for me, that was how it always was. So I didn't know that I was supposed to be able to see these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, your, so your dad was. Yeah. So my dad was, into climbing. Uh, yeah, a keen climber and he was like involved with the mountain rescue when we used to live up in the lakes. Um, right. so yeah, he taught me to climb. Um, okay. and we used to go away like regularly and, I think that we went to Font pretty much every year. Oh, sorry, that's Fontainebleau in France. Um, right. And yeah, they've got photos of me having a bath in a washing up bowl, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Okay. 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 And okay. So when you were first climbing, do do you think? I mean, he, if he he didn't quite realise what that that you had problems with your vision, um, do you think that kind of helps you on your way? I mean. Did you um, do you think did it help fact, or hindered or do you think as a two year old or whatever eleven year so old the, it wasn't that much difference? I don't think that not being able to see is ever a benefit. Um, no. <laughs> if okay. That was yeah. I think no. That my, I think <laughs> that my my parents' attitude and um, the willingness to kind of still engage and take me out and do stuff mm -hmm. and not wrap me on cotton, cotton wool that is something that I definitely think has had a big effect on me right. and something I'm incredibly grateful for sure, sure. Um, uh, so don't forget that like my eyes weren't as bad back then as they are now right. um, okay. so I could still when I first learned I could still see well enough to place the protection and I could see when it's right in front of your face you know it's at the end of your arm you can yeah. see what you're do doing I couldn't see it in as much detail as everyone else but I could still see just about well enough yeah um and i could see kind of if there was an obvious hold like when i was like maybe three meters from it yeah. but one of the things i've never been able to do and <laughs> it's quite funny I, I only realized this is what other people did quite late in my climbing career I, i've never been able to stand at the bottom of a climbing route and like look up at the holds and plan the sequence of what you're going to use when and spot the cracks which you might place protection in sure. that's just that's something that all climbers do yeah apart from me right which is quite important <laughs> yeah it makes it a lot harder it makes it a lot harder because instead of being able to flow smoothly from one hold to the to the next yeah. it's very kind of staccato get hold lock off search around for the next hold yeah yeah and it's a lot slower um but yeah that's sure. how it is okay so let's go back to when you were you know on the edgewell slabs or you know mm -hmm. North Wales or, or or the Lake District. Did you immediately have an affinity with this? I mean, like I say, you weren't given much choice, but did you immediately feel as though this was something that you had to do, love to do, couldn't imagine? It's something I doing? always enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, 
I don't really remember how I felt about it back then because that's a long time ago, if sure. I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I remember like when my dad taught me to climb and like kind of as I got to kind of 18 and I started to be able to climb as hard, if not harder than he could. Yeah. Um, that was quite weird, but still kind of exhilarating being the leader and like going up first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was something that was kind of interesting. And I think that it's something that I am quite good at. I think, well, the, at least the head game side of it, I think is some, one of my strengths. Right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, well, you need to kind especially of... not being able to see, right? Like, <laughs> there's probably not many other people that go and lead stuff when they can't see what they're doing. No, no, that's quite significant. <laughs> and and do you so when you were you know when you when you first started to lead, did again did that? You're obviously much more aware of of not being able to see so well. Did was that something to overcome more than anything else, or was it? Did you just kind of go for it or just felt natural because of your just, ability yeah i mean you had the ability to just, lead yeah so obviously just started you know i wasn't everyone starts easy right yeah I mean, it wasn't i wasn't going and jumping on an e6 first off sure, you know? sure sure um um one of the things that i did find when i was learning to lead that i remember actually one of the few things that my, was that my dad was like oh it would be probably be better if you started to, to lead on sport because on sport you know once you clip the bolt that's it it's much easier yeah and i and i never agreed with that because for, for someone with poor sight mm -hmm. it's really difficult to find the bolts on a sport sport route because they can be anywhere right. you know it depends totally depends where the guy who bolted the route put decided to put them yeah whereas the trad gear is almost always going to be in the cracks so if you can find a crack sure you can follow it and like you know stick your hand up and have a good feel around inside and work out where within that crack the protection might be. Sure, sure. So it was much easier for me to be find trad gear than it was to find bolts. Right. And 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 how long was the process? I mean, yeah, when you say it, I guess it makes perfect sense. How, how long was the process till you became very comfortable kind of climbing trad? I mean, was that what your dad did and that's what you kind of always followed on or yeah. was it? Uh, well, I can't really remember. I was certainly... I remember when I when I was eighteen, he bought me my uh, like a rack for my eighteenth, but the beginnings of a rack for my eighteenth birthday, and right. like kind of because I was about to go off to uni. Obviously, I wasn't going to be able to nick his rack all the time. Sure, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you call a boomerang present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and to be honest, all of his stuff was all ancient and knackered and needed to be thrown in the bin. Um, so, uh, um, so I know. So that was when I was 18 and I was kind of, yeah, confident leading BS, something mm -hmm. like that. Right. Um, okay. Okay. So and then, know, not setting the world alight, but also not too bad either. No, not too bad at all. And, and, and was it, has it always been, where, where does it kind of fit into your, the rest of your life, your work life? And is it something that you, you know, is, is this kind of the, one of the defining things? Is 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 this what you kind of do every weekend? And yeah, well, I certainly do a lot of it now. Um, okay. So, I guess the strange thing is that uh, I'm now part of the GB paraclimbing team. Yeah. Um, and uh, before 2017, I didn't even know that there was a para paraclimbing team. I just didn't know it existed. Um, okay. So before that, I was kind of just a you know climbing every week climbing climbing 
you know most weekends and mm-hmm. going to the war once twice a week something like that right okay um and then obviously when i got on the team i, I was like oh right uh i'm actually quite good at this yeah. uh, maybe maybe if i did some training i might be even better <laughs> so um, so now yeah i've got you know a, tra- a proper training plan and i'll probably be you know five six times a week training something like that so just to kind of slip back a little bit um when did where, where were you climbing when you were at university and kind of after that page so who, I to, i'm sorry go ahead yeah sorry and, and who were you climbing with so i went to university down in uh, bath so i climbed a lot with the university mountaineering club um that's where i met like you know quite a lot of my friends who i'm still friends with today yeah. um so the club's really good actually so we'd go climbing all over um north wales lake district gower or more places like that um and then obviously uh avon gorge but more cheddar um after work okay so right yeah, those are the probably the places i climbed climbed most uh, while i was at uni okay and, and what kind of places do you did you enjoy most where, where was there anywhere that you always kind of uh, like to go back to felt like home as i like the, i like the peak um mm-hmm. grit is quite good for me big obvious features yeah, um right to follow yeah. you know imagine something like one of my favorite routes is probably something uh, like bond street at millstone a big hand jamming crack doesn't really matter that you can't see you can't get lost there's one obvious feature yeah just follow it okay. that's you know much better for me than something like a feet really complex featured limestone where you can't really tell which is the good bit yeah um you know that's and anything that requires extremely precise footwork yeah um that's going to be hard because you know i can't see my feet where am, yeah. how am i supposed to uh, what to put it on gosh yeah yeah indeed indeed and and were you were you going abroad at all yeah so um we went all over really um i remember going to the dolomites and chamonix in my first year uh, during the summer Right. And then, like, to uh, we did a trip to Rukun and Hemsdal in the winter. Okay. Um, all all over, really. Okay. And and when you were, I mean, when you are climbing and when you're climbing with your friends, what did you? Is there a is there a different routine? Like, what well, one of the things that you mentioned is not being able to see, you know, kind of stand back and plan this route. Did someone else help with that? You know, the person yeah. you were leading or whoever's leading you or swapping right your you know your climbing partner was was that part of it and how does it how did that differ from um... yeah so it kind of developed i mean <laughs> initially it's just started off of that i could climb the routes but i couldn't read the guidebook so <laughs> <laughs> um i'd be like all right mate uh do you want to pick a route and tell me where it is um and uh then if they'd read me the guidebook description yeah. um i'd get quite adept at like a following my nose and b remembering what i was supposed to do right um, good grief so yeah it's kind of a bit strange and then obviously as i lost more and more of my sight mm-hmm. the um my friends would start to give me more detailed instructions so like shouting out where hand slash footholds were or um directing me towards cracks that they could see from the ground where i might be able to get some gear in and stuff like that yeah and, and, and did you develop kind of quite close uh, climbing partners? And, and do you still climb with them? Or yeah, I mean, so, how, how does that um, kind of work? So I had yeah, one of my one of my good mates was my main uh, climbing partner through my undergrad, and then um, uh, 
like through my PhD, I, um, I had to climb more with Molly, who's uh, now my wife. So yeah, that one seemed to seems to have lasted. Um, <laughs> we can climb together. Um, there we go. <laughs> she's she's brilliant, um, and she, over time, she's just taken on more of the role of like sight guiding me. Right. Um, and she's a really strong climber in her own right, which I think is really important. Like to be a good sight guide, you've got to be able to work out how you would climb it. You kind of, ima- I think she looks up and she imagines herself climbing it and the moves that she would do. Mm-hmm. And then she puts some adjustments on because obviously I'm a lot taller than her. So I've got a big span and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't do things in exactly the same way, but it's a, yeah, it's a definite skill and being a, good climber is a prerequisite for being able to do it i think right yeah yeah indeed and and so when did you what tell me about how you got into team gb what what was that process like <laughs> um, given that surprise, you didn't know about them in 2017 <laughs> <laughs> so um so we'd just come back from an expedition to greenland um and uh we were climbing at the local wall um and one of the uh, the girls who was in the like development squad at the time um, came up came up and said, "Is he is he blind?" Uh, asking Molly, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we said yes because uh, I was at the time my sight was a bit better and we were using a laser pointer to uh, direct me to the holes. Right. Um, yeah. So that was obviously quite obvious that you know yeah. I needed some direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, that was on the Thursday, and the first of the BMC paraclimbing competition series was on the Saturday. So <laughs> went along, competed, and got on the podium. And Did I was you? like, oh, I'm <laughs> right at this. Because um, the thing is, beforehand, I'd always been comparing myself to sighted climbers. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm all right, but I'm nothing special. Yeah. Um, but then when you kind of compare me to people who can see comparable amounts to what I can, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Right. And that, that that that's amazing. And and so was it from then you think it kind of changed your perception of your own climbing ability and then you decided to keep well, at it? And, is yeah, right? so, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the first of all, I didn't even know that there were, there was the opportunity to compete. Right. Um, and when I was aware that there was the opportunity to compete um, and that I had a chance of, you know, doing well at this i'm like well i'd better you know i'd better give this my all and actually commit to it and do you know like i said do some training because yeah. at the time i was climbing a couple of times of the week a, a week down the wall but i was doing more brazilian jiu-jitsu than i was doing climbing right. so um you know i was training for that four times a week or something like that right so unfortunately that's had to kind of take a bit of a back seat because i just don't have the time to do both um, okay so jiu-jitsu is yeah. the other sport that you were enjoying and practicing yeah. and okay Do, yeah so jujitsu and skiing um yeah but jujitsu most of the time that was the one i was doing most of putting the hours in most of i think okay okay and then you kind of decided to flip out of that a little bit and well i was doing them in parallel but i was spending more time doing jujitsu and then obviously i got in the para team and had to scale back the amount of jujitsu i was doing and focus on my climbing right 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 and did you still do it jujitsu uh, yeah I haven't had a chance to train for a couple for a, probably two years now. I'd like to, but it's just time. You yeah. Know, like when you're six times training six times a week and you've got a full time job. Yeah. There's not much time left. No, 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 no. So, so, so how did I mean that this is kind of a you know a, one of those questions that that have, can affect how people 
change their relationship with the sport when you start competing with it did that was that something that you naturally fell into or you know did it enhance your enjoyment of it because you know you hear about people who kind of start competing in various sports on a higher and higher level and it almost ruins their experience of yeah. it so well there's a kind of a distinction between indoor climbing and outdoor climbing for me because all the competitions are obviously indoor or wall based yeah um so there's a definite distinction between like indoor climbing and outdoor climbing yeah. for me uh, yeah. there's you know there's no competitions outdoor is still a very personal thing yeah um, and i think i'm getting a bit better at it but certainly when i started competing i didn't really enjoy the the kind of the competition part of it mm-hmm. you know there was suddenly all this expectation and it you were having to climb and it wasn't on your terms yeah, yeah. um so if i was going to go and do something on trad you know i'd go to the crag and i'd have a have a go when I felt like it. Whereas in the comps, you know, you're going to have to go and do something and suddenly your name's called and you've got to climb it now. And it doesn't matter if you haven't done your warm up or whatever, you, you've got to do it now. And suddenly there's expectation on you because, you know, this is your one opportunity. You can't just, if you get spat off, come back, come back next weekend and have another bash at it, yeah. you know? And I didn't really enjoy that pressure if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I'm getting better at dealing with it now, but it, it's still something that I much prefer the kind of the outside climbing from that respect. I get much, much more enjoyment on it because it's on my term. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no pressure or expectation really. Okay. And, and how do the competitions work for the non climbers listening? How, how, how often are you expected to compete and how much of the time that you, you know, in terms of training and that kind of thing? So the uh, BMC in the UK run a series of uh, competitions every year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then if you're uh, lucky enough to make the team, then there are um, a series, ser- some international competitions. Yeah. So it's a bit ad hoc as to how many of those get arranged each year. Um, but usually there's going to be the uh, paraclimbing masters in IMPST uh, a World Cup probably in Beyonson and then the World Championships are every other year. Right. Not so um, not a huge number of international competitions, um, but yeah. And they're, all the paraclimbing competitions are divided into categories depending yeah. on your disability. Okay. So obviously I'm in uh, the blind category, but there are people who are missing hands or legs or um, who've got reduced power stability. Right. Um people who've had strokes, et cetera, or stuff like that. So in the blind categories, there are three levels. B1 is what I'm in, which is the those with the least sight. So that's for people who are totally black blind mm-hmm. and people like myself who've got light perception, but that's it. Yeah. Um, and then B2 and B3 are like kind of a uh, successively more sight. Uh, and in my category... Um, to make sure, because there's people who are black blind and people with a bit of light perception like me, just to ensure that everything's totally fair, we all, we're all blindfolded. Right, um, okay. To be honest, it doesn't really make much difference, but that's yeah. a yeah. Um, one of the things I had to get used to when I started to train. Um, obviously, you got something on your face. and like, Yeah. Um, so that was just a bit of a thing, but it means that now, whenever I train indoors, I climb with a blindfold on, and that's not, you know, that's, that's just to make sure that 
when I'm training, the training is as representative of competitions as possible. Sure, sure, sure. And and and, and are these competitions, I mean, the Team GB, do you all go out as a group and yep, compete? We'll and Yeah. So it's quite a good team atmosphere. And obviously, we've got a, a range of people in all the different categories. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a good, good, and we all support each other, et cetera. It's great. Um, so, yeah. And are there uh, many others in the same category as you in the, in Team GB? Or? No, so I'm the only one in the team who's B1. Um, right. We've got some other people in like B2 and B3. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm the only one who's okay. B1. And do you keep coming up against the same? Yeah, the so same? there's a couple of people who are kind of my, my competitors to watch. Um, mm -hmm. There's a very strong uh, guy from Japan who's the world champion for multiple years, a very strong uh, Spanish climber, um, and a guy from uh, Italy as well. So those are kind of my main competition, right. those guys. Okay, and what, what, what kind of competitions have you got coming up? What, uh, are, the, what are the big <clears throat> big things on the horizon? So uh, we're going into uh, the na BMC national competitions now. So uh -huh. um, I need to give a good result in that and make sure I keep my place on the team. Yeah. And then it'll be winter time, so a load of training over the winter. Um, and then the uh, next kind of competitions won't be probably till June time, right? Something like that. So I'm kind of in a in a bit of a down phase at the moment. We've just, well, just we've recently had the World Championships, um, so we're just coming off the back of that, and then kind of getting set for the new for the new year. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, just going back a bit, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, an expedition in Greenland. Is that T tell us about that. Is that something that you do regularly as well? Do you kind of, <laughs> uh, or is that just to, a... Uh... <laughs> I get to go on expeditions as regularly as I might like. They're <laughs> extremely expensive and difficult to organise. Yes, um, yeah. and, and jobs and things <laughs> get in the way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it came about in a very strange way, actually. So work sent me to uh, London to do a, like a, a postgraduate certificate in intellectual property law, right. um, which was, yeah. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about that is that it meant that in that year i couldn't take on my annual leave so i've got like kind of 15 days of annual leave shifted into the next holiday year and i was like oh right great uh -huh. it means we can go away for a good chunk of time where can we go mm -hmm. that like we would never be able to get to normally oh and by the way let's go somewhere where i can actually get to the crimes because when you can't see often the approach to climb the climbs is as bad if not worse than the climbs themselves grief. yeah like, okay. imagine something in the alps where you've got you know a, ma a massive moraine to cross which is just a boulder field and everything you stand on moves and you can't see what you're standing on it's a, it's a nightmare yep um gosh so there's so we, much we don't think about yeah <laughs> so it was we decided let's go somewhere where we can get to the base of the routes on skis because you know the snow is flat and i can just slide one foot forward after the other that's much easier than picking your way across a boulder field yeah uh, so we uh decided to go to greenland um okay. so we organized it all ourselves um so me molly um uh and then three or three of our friends two of whom were back from our time at bath uh so we spent five weeks out in greenland wow. four weeks on skis did like a a big hundred kilometer loop up one glacier over two coals down the next glacier um, carrying carrying all our own kit uh and like totally self-supported 
uh, and got two first ascents, which was wow. pretty cool. Wow! Wow! Sounds amazing. Um, and 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 is that kind of mount? Was that kind of more mountaineering? Was that? Yeah. So that was. Um, yeah. So that was like in winter alpine conditions. Yeah. Um. So that was in April time. So it was kind of about minus fifteen during yikes, the days. Yikes! Something yikes! Like that. Um. Yeah. It was great fun, but very hard because <laughs> you got <laughs> you've got to carry all your kit in a pulk, your big sledge behind you. Yeah, um, and you're going for that long. You've got a, a load of stuff. So I think my sledge was I don't know 120 kilograms or something that you've you got, got to drag behind you. Yeah, it's yeah. so de- it's so demoralising. You'll you'll slog away for like eight hours straight, and you'll have gone like eight kilometers or oh something goodness. oh my goodness oh my goodness and, uh, maybe this maybe this is the one advantage of not being able to see because the other guys like at the beginning they look back <laughs> where they're it, and they're like oh god that's where we camped like <laughs> eight or ten grueling hours ago <laughs> where they're like don't tell me how far i've gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the first two weeks were all uphill and that was really yeah hard work um but then like once you start going down, it gets a lot easier, and also you've eaten half your food by that point, which is great. So. Right? Yeah, that sounds tough. What did you did you kind of and was it was that the first kind of major expedition that you've you've been on? Was yeah, that, in, in yeah. that situation, and and did you how, how did you find it? Did you? I mean, nobody knows how they're going to react, but did did it? Yeah, did you kind of settle in? Did you get into a rhythm? Was it so. harder than you think thought it would be? Or? I didn't really have any expectations, so it wasn't right. really harder than I thought it was going to be because I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. It was certainly plenty hard. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, did I settle in? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, quite good at putting the bit between my teeth when I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, put, put, your, put the bit between your teeth, put your brain somewhere else and just keep pumping the legs is the main thing you <laughs> like to to get through the expedition um <clears throat> and then the climbing was great um obviously you're just kind of it, the main battle is the exhaustion like what the peaks we chose to do weren't technically difficult but it's mm-hmm. the the remoteness and the exhaustion you know you're two and a half weeks in you've been on the go in these conditions for that length of time yeah it's about 200 miles to the nearest civilization and that civilization is a a runway that's just scraped out of snow with a tin shed it's not like in chamonix where if something goes wrong 15 minutes the chopper will be there it's not like that at all yeah it's pretty serious it's pretty committing yeah 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 yeah. and 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 then um tell us about the old man of hoy so that this is obviously a sea stack famous sea stack um that you climbed and it was it was also sort of part as a, a film as well wasn't it that made a, a little a yeah. documentary <clears throat> about it so how did how did that come about um climbing the old man of hoy to begin mm-hmm. with um yeah. so we'd climbed the old man of store um molly molly myself and my dad um uh when was that not sure on a 2008 ish maybe right um and uh yeah i thought it was great a great laugh you know going and climbing a sea stack it's a good day out and mm-hmm. on the old man of store you've got the uh the fun of setting up a tyrolean to tra- traverse to get back and stuff like that right so like it had always been on my um like kind of radar to go and do the other sea stacks you know uh, the old yeah. man of hoy and Ambukul. um 
so yeah it was it, it came across through that really um just it was the right time to go and do it um mm-hmm. it'd been on my mind for a while um it was within my capability um so yeah and it's um was filmed by alistair lee for the film climbing blind yeah um so i think i didn't get too psyched out by it but there is that kind of added expectation of you know again what a, a bit like the one i was saying about the in the competitions there's the expectation of right okay perform now please yeah uh, yeah but i think that wasn't too bad um for the old man of Hawaii. that's kind of it's more what i what i do and what i know yeah so. sure and what, what about the film what do you, i mean it made obviously quite a splash what what um were you were you surprised by that or did, were you you know how, how did you react to that kind of to the added it's, attention bit, i guess that you got yeah it's a bit weird having the attention to be honest um yeah i it's something i'm kind of getting used to but it's not something i i kind of particularly sought you know right. um i kind of i recognize that it's important to tell my story because I can appreciate that there's possibly, you know, younger versions of me or other people with other forms of disability. And it's important to tell them that, um, it's still totally possible to go and do these things, even though, you know, your eyes might not work or whatever your particular limitation might be, um, with the right attitude and, um, work ethic and a plan, you can still go and do these things. Um, I think it's really important to to have that out there. Um, it's it's a bit weird becoming well known. Um, I think is the the main take home. Right, <laughs> but I mean, but because yeah. the other thing is you suffer from, you suffer from this bias. Like I think what I do is totally normal. Like, yeah. you know, I appreciate that it's that it's not. But for me, it's something I've always done. And oh yeah, I'm going to go go to the crag at the weekend and you know, have, have a go see what I can do. Yeah. Um, you know, often non-climbers say, "Oh, how do you prepare for these climbs?" I'm like, I "Don't really. I just go and do what I think I can." Yeah, and 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 that's the yeah. I mean, that that's the <laughs> the the, inter- the interesting point, isn't it? it? It's what 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 is as your story became, you know, more well known, and these things get pointed out. Did you feel that there was more expectation on you to? I don't know, not not be a spokesperson but to a certain extent you would be a role model certainly to people you know as you say watching yeah. that do you do you <clears throat> carry that heavily or do you carry that lightly how do you you know is it something that i i think that's probably the reason that i'm that i'm allowing the attention yeah. um because i recognize that being that if people want it's not something i've asked for but if people are inspired by what i do that's great yeah. Um, and then, and then it's, there's a, there's an onus on me not to hide away to, you know, to let people have that example, mm. I think. But, um, but it's not just inspiring for, you know, somebody who may also be visually impaired or, you know, whatever is, it's inspiring for everybody to see in a certain way, because we've, you know, everyone's got those challenges and to see somebody i don't want to say the word overcome because you haven't overcome them you've you know you've you, you're you're just doing it because that's what you love and you're very very good at it but mm. it's also you know it's inspiring on so many so many levels to an awful lot of people 
I would say. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always a bit conflicted about. Yes, I, I think it's great that people think that. It's not something I think about, though. I think it's um, part of the key success is not thinking about that. Like, yeah. I think the things that mean I can do what I can do are willpower, like not giving up when things get hard. Yeah. Um, having a plan. Um, so it's the little things. So I'll give you an example. When we were looking at going and doing the old man of Hoy, um, we were working out how much of the time Molly was going to be able to see me because when she can see me, um, she can give me instructions. We, we have a, a headset and yeah. she can say up, up a bit, you know, but obviously if I, climb over a roof or something or go round a corner and we lose line of sight to molly she can't give me those instructions anymore so we were trying to we were trying to read all the different route descriptions we could get our hands on and work out for the traverse pitch the second pitch on the old man ahoy was she going to be able to see me while i was doing that Mm. um uh, or not um and as it as it turns out yeah built the belay in such a way that she could get right to the edge of the ledge and look out and she was able to see me. But those are the, the, the skill is anticipating what the problems are going to be and overcoming them and through a plan in advance. That's yeah. like a large part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And <laughs> do, do, does that, what's your job? I think, I so uh, <clears throat> the title is, principal patent engineer i appreciate that doesn't really mean much (laughs) essentially what i do is i look after a patent portfolio for a a, a technology company right so my company makes hydrogen fuel cells and i look after the patents that we have on those okay okay do you do you find oh this is a hackneyed attempt to sort of just see if that that skill set that different skill set kind of fits into other parts of your life as well I like um, the idea of having that kind of level of planning, but uh, that's just frankly not me. So. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, well, there are obviously some skills that, that cross over. I think the um, the key skill for my job is understanding the patent system, which is an extremely, extremely complicated system. And once you understand the kind of the rules of the game, you can work out what the best way of playing it is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that kind of understanding of complicated systems i think it plays into kind of reads across sure 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 um and then i mean what's next so what 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 are the sort of the bigger yeah the bigger things recently and 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 where what what's next on your agenda so um next is uh get married uh congratulations (laughs) so we've done all the paperwork um at the time of recording we've done all the paperwork and then the uh the the having a good time with our mates will happen in a couple of weeks brilliant okay awesome um, great time taking up quite a lot of organizational bandwidth (laughs) and then the release of the film i think is the next big thing yeah um and then after that it'll probably be reasonably quiet for a little while because obviously winter's a Winter's upon us, um, so it'll be uh, getting back in, getting back into the wall and getting back training, getting strong over the winter. We'll probably go sport climbing somewhere um, uh-huh. over Christmas itself, and then in the in the new year, we're thinking of, we're batting a few ideas around. We're thinking of uh, doing a nice uh, trip somewhere. Right. Uh, so 
Have, have, you done, have you done much ice climbing before or mixed? I've done a, I've done a bit. Yeah, I've done a reasonable amount. Uh, so a bit in the Alps and a trip to Rukun and a trip to Hemsdal. Uh, and one of my friends who went to Greenland with us uh, lives in Norway now. Yeah. So um, thinking about hooking up with him. And one of the things... Sorry? <laughs> Could be the perfect opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I think I would like to do is... Um, get out onto some some of the bigger like kind of ice falls maybe go out to canada and try some of the try some of the the cool lines out there yeah. that's something that i always wanted to do um and this may, may sound crazy but ice climbing is in some ways easier for a blind person than it is for like a sighted climber um so not not for a sighted climber but yeah. it's easier to climb ice than it is to climb rock because on ice if you're strong enough to hold on and the ice and the ice is thick let's not yeah, go near yeah. <laughs> like water ice six death horror shows where it's a smear but if the ice is thick and you can hold on you can always make yourself a new handhold right by yeah. chipping away yeah. whereas on rock you know the handholds are in a preset place yeah. and if you don't find them well that's it yeah 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 so oh, so that's something that you want to develop so yeah i'd like to have a go at that um yeah i mean i've obviously you know, I, i've led up to like kind of water ice four clean and dug my way up water ice five but i'd like to go back now i'm definitely stronger now than i was back then um and see what i can see what i can turn my hand to great and any more big expeditions who knows um really uh the difficult yes i'd love to go and do something in like Gre- greenland or um we were talking about going to argentina um fantastic but the time time getting time off that chunk of time off off work is the difficulty you're gonna have to do another um intellectual property (laughs) (laughs) another year studying yes maybe (laughs) Maybe. try and work out some contrived set of circumstances to me push all my holiday into one large chunk for sure for sure for sure and there we have it what an incredible story and what a lovely bloke Thank you, Jesse, for spending the time talking to us. And thanks to you, the listener, as well. We're going to be back next month with another story. So if you enjoyed it, please leave a review in all the usual places and you'll be hearing from us next month.